when I said I want a story about a duck who loves cheese, uh, it's uh, I wanted to be a swan and said everybody would make fun of him, call him cheese duck. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another very overdue episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Derek. Howdy, Derek. I'm you, back, you baby. Right, we, uh, it's been, man, it's been a little while since we've had a chance to hop on a call together and talk. And I am so excited, Derek, to be back with you. I can tell. I can, I can see your face. Our, our podcast you can see my listeners face. cannot. smiling you look, ear to ear. You look you're brimming. <laughs> With excitement. <laughs> Brimming, as they say. Yeah, it's been a while, man. I was, uh, I had a couple where I've been starting to travel for work again. I've heard. And um, it's kind of nuts. Uh, where you been? Uh, well, New York a couple weeks ago. Nice. Um, maybe India. Ooh, so India. I'm not sure, although that, that might not work out with uh, uh, my Arlo, uh, my youngest son, for everybody out there who doesn't know. His birthday is April 30th. And I may or may not end up making the India trip because it depends on when his birthday party is. And obviously, all that stuff comes before work. As much as I would love to go to India, that's that would be a, a really fun trip. But uh, maybe the UK, Scotland, Lafayette, Indiana in a couple Ooh, of weeks. That's exciting. <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, a lot more, lot more work travel now in this this new gig that I'm I, I got. So. Uh, for everybody out there listening, same company, just different gig, different role inside. And so it's crazy. I'm actually working. I can't, did I, did I tell you about this? I don't know if I've talked about it on the show, but working now again on the stuff we used to work on back in the day, the maintenance repair overhaul network back on the shop floor stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You're back really on the cool. shop. Getting my, my steel toe boots again and uh, my, my eye protection, my earplugs, and heading to the shops. So I'm pretty stoked about that. That's exciting. Yeah. Same old stuff, too. It hasn't changed a single bit. <laughs> <laughs> in the last four years so that's good which is good for Nostalgia. me because that means uh yeah. you know yeah it's good for me because i know it all well, yeah. most of it at least well i don't know all obviously but i know a lot and um i don't have to relearn anything because it's all it's all the same so how'd you see uh have you have you caught up with tommy b yet is he still out there doing his thing you know that was power dude that was g power oh I I, yeah i don't i don't know about oh that's tommy right b. jeez last so i heard long. he actually he's gone and i think he's somewhere else now but yeah okay well, i wish him the best Still tommy, if you're cars, listening, but uh tommy if you're listening <laughs> no i hope or if you're if you've passed on i hope you're racing cars in heaven my friend <laughs> i think he's still around he's just not around i'm just saying we don't know but he's still around but let's not say around. i like to say that just in case <laughs> in case you're dead i'll make sure <laughs> Oh, that's to to say, a, yeah, it's not, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a pre-mortem. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's, that's my, uh, that's me, man. It's been, it's been going all right. Good a lot deal, of work man. travel. Amy's not excited about that. Yeah, uh, I can understand. Well, my kids are excited because I always bring home some kind of souvenir, usually from the airport, <laughs> wherever I end up going. But, uh, you know, work trips, you don't really get a lot of time for souvenir shopping, unfortunately, but. but fortunate. Anyway. Um, right, Derek. So, what do you want to talk about today? I want to talk about uh, something a buddy of mine from work shout out, uh, Steve Muldrow from uh, the company I work at, uh, which you'll you'll find out if you look me up on LinkedIn, okay, and then find him through that. All right, we'll we'll post him in the, in the show notes. He and I were walking through a concept. I work on a platform, a software okay. platform, and he was telling me about more abstract views of a platform. And why what we built is so hard to work on and has mm -hmm. such issues with funding and priorities. And he gave one of the one of the big, you know, uh, indicators. And it was fascinating. And it centers around 
centers around this concept called network effects that I'll okay. describe to you in a little bit. So I can do that now. Do you have any questions? Sure. Okay. Uh, none so far. No. Okay, none so far. Well, I didn't explain anything yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll see. Okay. So the way he described it, at first I didn't quite understand what he was saying because he was essentially describing something that wasn't there. We had the picture. We have a, uh, had a box that had platform in it. I had a box underneath it that had producers in it. So these mm -hmm. are the people that basically write applications for the platform, let's say, if you're looking at an application context. And then customers or users are that third box. All right. Mm -hmm. So I had them listed one on top of the other. And I was like, well, this doesn't seem to work. What is what is this other thing you're talking about? Network effects. I don't understand. I couldn't describe it. He's like, well, stop thinking about applications. Let's think about a newspaper. Okay. All right. Newspaper is a platform. Nobody ever reads them anymore. But uh, <laughs> if, if you get them, if they're on your lawn, you did not ask for that to be on your lawn. You know that. Come on. You know that. You listener out there. <laughs> That thing, that thing's been there for years. You just can't figure out how to make it stop showing up on your lawn. So the newspaper is the platform. The people who write the articles are the producers of the content that lives in the newspaper. The people who are buying the newspaper, those are the consumers. Those three groups need to coexist. The effect of them working together is called the network effect. Okay. It's described on the old internet as any situation in which the value of a product, service, or platform depends on the number of buyers, sellers, or users who leverage it, okay? So that value word is the thing I jumped onto. And what, what it made me realize was that if you're getting value out of the newspaper user writer, if you're getting value out of that, it's because all of those exist in a healthy ecosystem. The okay. ecosystem around which that platform consumer producer model lives is variable. So that's the other thing that I wanted to talk about. So like during COVID, things changed and the health of the consumer or the ability for them to actually get to the platform, let's say, for example, the restaurant. The restaurant is the platform. People have to get to the restaurant. Well, they can't get there anymore. They're still making food, but the health between like the servers who were, they're the producers in a way, and the cooks are the producers. There's a part of the ecosystem that basically broke down. Okay. But if you look at that environment and you say, what was really going on there? It was the producers were the cooks. Their restaurant was the, the place where you got the food. And then the consumers came and got the food. So the network effect was actually between those three. The servers and the people in the restaurant were all only in existence to make the experience of the consumers better. Right. And it, it improved their experience. But they weren't necessary because you could just give it to them in a window the whole time. So the restaurants that okay. realized that, they moved to that model very quickly and had to survive that way. Right. But the experience of being in a restaurant is part of that effect, that network effect. But when things change and the environment changes, the effect also changes. So the I don't consider it a, a neutral effect, something that's happening. I consider it the potential value proposition like basically like success potential is living there within those within the relationship between those groups 
And what we learned, we, we actually talked through it. The thing that we thought was interesting was that when you allow for coupling or when you encourage coupling or tight association between the producer and the platform itself, you run the risk of things going awry or the environment to change. If you're paying for the producers and the, and the funding for the producers and the funding for the restaurant are completely separate, let's say the cooks in the restaurant, then you could extract the restaurant and just have the producers and allow them to incorporate with a new platform if they needed to, if they're not directly tied together. But they are because their cooks need the kitchen to cook the food. And the kitchen's in the restaurant. They can't take the kitchen with them. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, so coupling the producer to the platform is a bad or dangerous idea because it leads oh, to I that, okay. you know, because over time the environment could change. But here's where it gets interesting. If you couple the people to the platform, then you're building that a lot of companies do that. They call it lock-in. You're locking people in to your platform. But what I find interesting is that the platform never made anything. The platform never produced a damn thing. The platform is there as a conduit for the ideas and the work of the producers. So the okay. platform only exists because it has to. So if you couple your people to the platform, you're setting yourself and them up for disappointment later when you realize that the platform is changing. That we're no longer a newspaper. We are a website. We're no longer a kitchen. We're a food truck. We're no, You know what I mean? So these concepts really got me like, thinking about a lot of the things I've designed in software. And let me kind of apply principles to things I will design in the future. And I thought it was just a really interesting concept. So I wanted to share it with you. That's interesting. So how, well, how does it apply to software from your perspective? Yeah. So for software, let's, let's talk about your situation. All right. You're trying to track work in a shop. All right. People need to maybe badge in to a system or log in and they need to track their work. The work is then stored somewhere and then recalled later when they need to go back to the machine to get the work. Okay. So somebody had to build that system or I guess GPT, chat GPT could. Um, somebody had to build that system. So they produced that system, that interactive system. So once, once essentially the, the rule was once there's more than two parties it's a platform that's the rule so if there's just a, a machine one machine in the shop that runs the program and they store everything in that one machine then the platform and the producer are kind it's and, and let's say they build it themselves it's like a very in-house thing which we've seen a lot in in you know shops for example that's that's a, a lot of times they'll be able to change that and adjust to the environment a lot faster. And I'm sure you've seen that too. Hey, something happened in the shop. Oh, just tell Bill to go change the program. But when you expand it farther than that, and you want to have multiple parties using services across shops and collaborating, coordinating the data, 
all of a sudden you need to start thinking about, okay, they all need to leverage a central platform, let's say, for logging in, for accessing different services across the environment, for doing these various things. Mm -hmm. That platform itself, if it's tied tightly to any of those producers, where a producer has a specific one-to-one relationship with that platform, let's say that I'm calling uh, user, get users, but I don't call get users. I say get users just for my application. Everybody else's application is different. Okay. Now we have two implementations in that user service, let's say, or identity service for getting users. Now it's duplicated. So the environment changes. We need a new identity service. How many places do I need to change it? Not one, two, because I've coupled my producer, who are these applications out there in the wild, to my platform. I've coupled them too hard. Okay, I see. That's the idea. So in in the what is the ideal scenario there? What is the ideal state? The ideal state is that there is a flexible enough platform that things that use it Mm-hmm. use it in a way it's kind of similar to how like we kind of went overboard a little bit where well, we built a user management system that was very flexible mm-hmm. there right. were no there was actually no indication of what applications were using it inside the tool a good way to test this is if your platform knows about the things that are calling it in the code itself you have coupled it so if you if you strongly decouple those applications from the platform and don't have any indication in the platform of like, like I don't even know that there's an application running in a shop. I just know that I can take location-based information, and if someone has needs access to it, I can know where they are. I can know, you know, like how to log them in, how to communicate with the downstream system. Like I have my responsibilities. Everything above me, that's not important. And and separating those responsibilities allows for the platform to change and for the producers to also change all at the same time. So there's this concept of volatility that I've learned about too. And there's two types of volatility. One, when something changes for everyone at the same time, security vulnerability. All of a sudden, something is insecure and everybody's running a version of a program that is insecure. The other thing is when something changes for one party over time. In your shop, you may get new new machines in. You may get new whatever in. That's volatile. That part of your work is volatile. When you look at a platform versus a like an application, what are the volatility aspects there? And you start to think, oh, well, I could have a bunch of different applications and they're some of them are going to be in different locations. Some of them are going to be in vaults or in, in uh, export control related environments or whatever that are secure. Oh, I need to be able to handle that. Well, my service isn't hosted anywhere that can handle that. So then you start to think like, okay, how do I handle a situation like that? In a way that's not specific to that application, just the scenario it's under, the situation it's under. You keep expanding the, the scope of uh, or the um, capabilities of the underlying platform, you know, to accommodate for it. So, yeah. question, is this similar to like almost, and this is me being completely ignorant of something like this, but like object-oriented programming in a sense where you've got like objects and those objects are sort of independent of other things. 
and you shouldn't be coupling those objects together if they because they could be independent and used in other places, but you can't if they're coupled with other things. Is this similar? The principles are very similar. Yeah. So single responsibility and all the stuff that we talked to Bob Martin about, uh, Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob. Uh, he 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 has this a rule for um, object-oriented programming uh, called the solid principles, the set of rules. And, um, Not and they, they're Cupid. like totally different. <laughs> oh, very cute. Very, very different. Yeah. Don't tell Dan. Um, I don't think Cupid quite caught on as well as solid principles though. Um, also don't Dan. tell Dan, yeah. shout out to Dan. Well, we'll see what happens. We're, we're still, we're still rooting for you, Dan. Um, I tell you what, we still get a ton of uh, Google searches hitting us from uh, people searching for Dan North Cupid. There you go. See, <laughs> so, so anyway, anyone anyway, um, go back and check out that episode because he talks about solid versus Cupid. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Derek. Sorry. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the different solid principles. Uh, I'm not going to go through them each right here, but one of the interesting, not easy to understand solid principles is called Liskov substitution, okay. and it's when you have essentially two classes or two, let's say, yeah, objects. And their intent is they both implement the same interface kind of thing. But if you substituted one out for the other, they should have semantically the same result. They shouldn't be semantically different. And it it, it leads to things like exploding the uh, requirements of the interface, like having a bunch of different like things in your interface that you know what interface is is like like if you were doing a design and you had like three web pages or websites and they were very similar but some had different aspects to them was a little different here a little different here but one of them like was solving a completely different problem so there was a lot of different stuff in it but you were you were using the same like template and so you had to then balloon that template up to accommodate that third one because of how, even though it's very different and doesn't like semantically apply to the template, you know, that's kind of Liskov substitution. And that's important because when you're dealing with applications, you could run into a situation where you actually have a platform that is handling too broad a scenario than you originally intended for. Okay. If, you're, if your goal as a platform is to host any application anywhere, anytime, that is an infinite problem. So you probably need a little bit more narrow focus in order to build something that's maintainable and understandable. So everything's not completely abstracted, you know, right. unless you're going for that, unless that's your goal, like your WordPress or something. So that that's kind of what that is. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. But it's really a, it's a fascinating uh, concept that I think people. So, would well, let me ask you this: What, how, how did this help you guys change what you were doing for the for the better? I assume using that kind of framework, what were you able to then go and do that you weren't doing before? How did it help you change your approach? Brilliant question, Jeremy. That's what the I'm platform <laughs> and the applications mm -hmm. were and are tightly connected, but not just in the fact that they have specific reliances on each other that you know there there are very specific endpoints you know or http endpoints that other services rely on that are just for them in another specific service but they are also funded through the same pool of money so okay. if you're trying to determine what's higher priority the platform or the applications you can't because they have the same funding model 
which one do we invest in? Which one do we, my, my buddy had a good word for it, but essentially, which one do we spend money on this year? You can't segregate that out because they're so tightly coupled together funding wise. And, and because of that, you end up in situations where like the line is very blurred between who's a platform member and who is a application team member. And it starts to feel weird. Well, you should know how to do the platform stuff. It's easy. You have access. Do this. But if we want a strong network effect, if we want a positive outcome, there does need to be a separation between the platform and the services. Like it, they almost need to be separately run so that we can have contracts between each other and have like a, a an air gap almost between the groups. You know, just just like if you were now it's a it's a company, so you could have a smaller gap that could be connected maybe through different methods of communication. You could communicate more often, as we say, solve communication problems. The only way is more communication or better communication. But that is uh, that's essentially what it is. Like the, the what we dis- what we learned was that we are suffering because we can't separate the platform from the producers. And the other thing is the consumers rely heavily on the platform to get work done, not necessarily the producers of the work. So the platform needs to stick around for a long time in its current state and can't be replaced by something very easily because of both of the, the group's reliances on it, you know. Um, and so okay. we learned that. That's now really we can make okay. take actions that follow that principle, right? Interesting. Okay. So this is sort of like an architectural principle you would follow going forward, separating these things, asking yourselves, if we do this, will it detach this or will it will it Absolutely. attach it to these things? And that's really fascinating. And your teams so, too. Yeah. So before we were talking, you mentioned network effect, and I had never heard of it before. And I, I Googled it. And they compared it or they were talking about the the amount of communication between parties and used something like Facebook as an example, where the more connections you have in your network, the more valuable that network becomes. And so Facebook, for instance, people hate Facebook or Twitter's, but maybe better people hate Elon Musk and Twitter and all this shit, but they, they still use it because their friends are there. Communications there, people they want to follow are there. So they don't leave it. So Twitter becomes intrinsically valuable not because Twitter itself is valuable, but because the network is valuable. Is that something similar to what you guys are talking about? Or is this like maybe a completely different thing? <laughs> no, I can I can relate it. So this is interesting you say that because you just gave me a thought where the network effect seems like a volume-based thing because it depends okay. on the number of connected parties. But I think... The health of the network effect is related to the quality of communication between the parties. So okay. if, oh, yeah. if, you're, if you consider Facebook a toxic environment because the quality of the communication is so low, mm-hmm. then the network effect is there and it's powerful, but it's powerful in a negative direction. There's another dimension right. to network effect, I think, mm-hmm. that makes these platforms – that are based on communication, succeed or fail. What happened to Twitter when Muskie took over? Muskie? Oh, Muskie? Oh, Muskie Musk. He started uh, messing yeah. with an already 
tense communication right. platform. He started meddling with it and changing stuff and making it harder to determine who was a real person. And then he started, uh, you know, implementing in uh, things where like now only blue, you know, blue Twitter people get to the top. I'm off Twitter because I don't want to be in a toxic communication environment where the network effect is so skewed right. in that direction. So interesting. Okay. So it is related to what you're saying. It seems to it's be. It's different. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It seems to be like like in both spirit and I could probably apply it almost directly to the idea of the three things, you know, like good consumer, producer, and, uh, and platform. Because um, if the communication between all of those groups becomes toxic, if the communication – basically like if the users need something – they can't get it because it takes too long. There, nobody communicates with them because that part's broken. The application has a bunch of bugs in it. You know, all this stuff that makes the environment more toxic. The network effect loosens. So there's a lot of ways I think that you can screw up your network yeah. effect in any in any of those situations. It's fascinating, Derek, isn't it? I had never I had never heard the term before today. It made me really happy to learn it. Because uh, yeah. my good old buddy Steve told me about it. He's my good buddy. I love it. Old Steve. Shout out to Steve. So yeah, I was just thinking out loud, and I, I'm trying to quickly, on the spot, think of how that might apply to something like UX design. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sort of drawing a blank. But I wonder, thinking of everything you know about UX design, does that apply, you think, to yeah. somehow to to what we're talking about? Yeah, here? think of, think of like, like a user's perspective. Where, where you build designs. What do you use? What software do I use? Yeah. Uh, for work, I would use Sketch. For personal stuff, Figma. Okay. And when you use Sketch, the people had to the people had to build Sketch. So Sketch is itself a a platform. Is there any like? So you're the user of Sketch, right? And Sketch does Sketch run on your machine? It does. So here's an interesting thing. It's possible that Sketch is not a platform. Because okay. Sketch is one product, and it interacts directly with you, the consumer. Right. It doesn't allow for other people to build into it unless there are, like, Sketch plugins, which I'm there assuming they have something plugins. like that. And you, like, go to a little Sketch store and you buy the plugins. That would be the other party uh-huh. that's, that's living off of the platform. You are using the platform. They'd be living off of it. See what I mean? Okay. Um, yeah. But it's so that may be a situation where it's just not a platform. It's just an application. Uh, so interesting. Okay. If, I'm just thinking about like from a UX designer's perspective, like how might that concept apply to what we do when we design an interface or a system in general? And maybe interface design, it wouldn't necessarily apply. But I'm wondering for like something like an architect, if I am helping to design a system, from a user's perspective, right? And I am partnered with a product team. You might find value in a platform if that platform promotes some type of this these networks that we're talking about and the network effect there is positive and could reinforce users and therefore could reinforce a value proposition that would then entice a user to pay for a service. So in that case, you might actually try to build a platform so that you add value to other users because the the users find value in a community together versus going off and doing something on their own, which I'm thinking about like 
something like Figma, for instance. Like a huge value in something like Figma is that there's community files, there's community things, people can build stuff, share mm-hmm. stuff. Everything is really simple to publish to their community, you know, templates or plugins or anything. And people find value in that because the system itself is somewhat limiting. If you want to go and use Figma, a lot of the value add is from other people's stuff, like plugins and things like that, that let you do stuff beyond the initial piece of software. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's really interesting that you mentioned Figma because Figma's big thing was that it was so performant, like like almost superhumanly performant, super mm-hmm. machine. And when a machine is absurdly well done, when a machine is absurdly well built or a platform is recently well built, it's possible, I think, for the consumers to also be producers and for the network effect to still be strong. In the case of situations where there's a lot of community-driven content, that's because the platform is so robust and so well-built that even a lowly consumer can be a producer. You don't mm. have to have, like, if you, were, if you were building video games for a console, I can't do that without a lot of training, you know? Right. But if I'm a designer and I can actually use a design tool to help other people build designs. Something like Unity or something, right? Like Unity, you can go and use that platform or that, I don't want to say platform. It is a platform. Unity is a platform. platform. There you go. So it's like a system or a platform that you can go and build. I've, I don't know, I'm sure there's some coding involved, but I've heard like you don't need to know as much to go and build a game in Unity. There's a lot of drag and drop type stuff, right? It is. Like, or free free source, free resources you can use and reuse, I guess. So that people who don't know how to necessarily maybe go and build from scratch, I don't know, some other game, however you would build it, you could use something like Unity to build without all of the prior knowledge. It's So Unity is a good system. It's a really good tool, but it's not good enough to where the people who play the games can also go into the tool and with no training build a game. Oh, that, yeah, that's that's not how it is. And that's the difference. Okay, if right, right. if there are there's a video game uh, for the Switch where it's like a, a maker game where they they basically you make games in the game. Oh, wow. That okay. is a platform it's like inception level stuff, right? There. It is. It is. It's cool. <laughs> it's a cool game. It teaches you like programming concepts and things like mm-hmm. that. But even with a programming background, it's hard. The barrier to entry is very high. So the the fact that there are community driven systems that work really well are amazing to me mm-hmm. because that just means that the system was built really well. And when you when you were talking earlier about you couldn't see how it maybe applied to uh, visual design or or um, UI design, have you ever worked with a, a, a UI framework? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like when you say UI framework, you, you mean like a, like a design system type like, of like thing? Like let's say Angular like material. Or, or Material. Oh, yes. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. or okay, a custom yeah. system your your company yeah, built. Angular, Beautify, yeah, yeah, yeah. All Something of those are platforms. Right. Oh, okay. And so when you build something, you rely on them. And they're very open-ended. So you can kind of, you can tie too tightly to them sometimes. You can modify them to have, you know, special just for you kind of things. But they're mm-hmm. they're distributable platforms. They're not one central platform. A lot of times... Uh, in companies, they'll build custom UI frameworks. We had one. Uh, we now have another one. And mm-hmm. just like a platform, they have to be really, really, really well done for the people who right. do the work to also be able to contribute to them. 
You know, there have to be checks and balances in place. There have to be make sure that everything's scanned and checked and that, you know, you don't you don't contribute something of garbage quality so that the whole community, you know, breaks apart. So yeah. that's that's an idea, a concept of a framework maybe in that world. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into this too to kind of think about it. But um, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I dig it, Doug. I dig it stuff. too. I dig it, it too. Made me think about something today. Good. All right, man. Cool. Well, right, uh, I think that's it for us. Check us out at RetroTimePodcast.com. Get yourself some stickers. RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, but we don't really post all that much at RetroTimePod. <laughs> Derek's done. I went back. I got I got booted from LinkedIn for a couple days. I created that uh, my account, you know, so I can get back on Twitter, and I realized why I left in the first place. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's terrible. I hate Twitter so much. God, I hate Twitter. I I, I don't even have any desire to go back. I, I have those accounts now. and I'm You know what I call it, Jeremy? What? Shitter. I get it. I get it. Because it's not good. <laughs> Shitter. Because it's just shitter. Yeah, shit. <laughs> um, I love it, Derek. All right. Uh, I think that's it. Retro Time Pod, retrotimepodcast.com slash reviews. Leave a five star review. Like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, all that stuff. You know what to do. Tell a friend. Leave it in your work Slack channel. Tell your buddies how important Retro Time is for your mental well being. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. And never stop fighting. <laughs> never stop fighting. Even though you'll never win. That's right. <laughs> oh, Derek and I love All right. Yeah. Well, I'll leave it at that. We'll see you next time. Little wins. Get some little wins. <laughs> see ya. All right, take it easy. I know. My daughter was learning about the Underground Railroad, and she told me it wasn't underground, and I was like, this is what a fucking joke. <laughs>